Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus, the basketball podcast. Basically, this is breakfast with Bald Men today, the first edition of Bald Men on Campus, talking all things college basketball. Illustrious partners in crime, uh, Jay Billis, the legend of Pookie's jersey is hanging somewhere at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We do not yet have the, the, have the ability to find it in the rafters, but we know it's somewhere in the building. We've got Lafonso Ellis, former Notre Dame great, going into the Ring of Honor at Notre Dame. Congratulations, Big Fonz. That's absolutely incredible accomplishment and I am just a fire basketball coach that babbles a lot pontificates <laughs> at to no end but anyway getting along Fonz Jay bald men on campus the podcast Jay first impression when you think about bald men on campus the podcast what do you think uh it sounds creepy it sounds like somebody <laughs> needs to call the police you know there are bald men on campus everybody hide i think we should rethink the name of this thing that that's what i think but but i also i'm 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 happy honored one uh and happy to to get the opportunity to to talk ball with you guys uh, every week like we always do this will be a, a little more casual than our normal kind of game day stuff on the air wearing our suits and ties and we'll be able to just kick around, you know, every topic in the game like we do at dinner uh, when in between Seth saying, I know I shouldn't eat this. This is bad. I shouldn't eat that. <laughs> the best thing about dinner, we all know, is Bill usually picks up the tap, so it makes no difference. That is very true. He's a very generous guy. <laughs> It's hey, Fonz, it is not. I do not pick up the tab because I'm generous. I pick it up because you guys don't reach for your wallets at all. And we do have to leave at some point. That's a good point. I do get a little alligator arms on that. And I admit it. I'm sorry. I do better. <laughs> COVID got to me. <laughs> Fonz, what's your take on Bald Men on Campus, the podcast? Yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, I have the privilege of working with two of the greatest minds in all of college basketball, and I've really enjoyed our fellowship both on air and on the road, and uh, hopefully we can continue to be uh, fun and insightful in uh, telling people all things about college basketball, and I can't wait to get started and start today. Obviously. Obviously, hey, Fonz, can you can you introduce well. us? To, can you introduce us to those two guys that have great <laughs> basketball minds? I'd like to meet them. Okay, first of all, Seth Greenberg <laughs> oh. and Jay Billis. <laughs> I, was, I was so brilliant. I'm talking to you two idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, hey, talking about ball, Jay. Well, let's start off with the ACC, just the ball in general. You know, transfer portal is a big conversation. You know, the number of players that transferred and were eligible immediately, whether they were grad transfers or just transfers that changed, even schools within leagues, which to me is, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic in terms of how coaches interact with each other. I mean, you're going to have guys that played for Texas Tech that are going to be playing for somewhere, someone else in the league. You're going to have guys across the board all over the country. I mean, playing against teams that basically they originally committed to. But when we think about the ACC, I mean, the ACC killed it in the transfer portal. Absolutely killed it. Just in general, like, what's your, what's your take on the transfer portal in terms of the impact it's going to have 
on college basketball and, and specifically maybe the ACC? I think, Seth, the impact is going to be huge. It's basically recruiting experience instead of, you know, recruiting freshmen. It's almost like a, a super juco type of type yeah. of deal where you're getting experienced players that have been through it before. And your task is to blend in new guys, but they've, they've been through it before. So you got to leg up than you would with freshmen. And so I think the, the smarter coaches have embraced it and decided when, you know, when and how they're going to use it and don't overuse it. Cause one of the things that I think is really interesting is it isn't the idea of, of uh, you know, playing against your former team or all that stuff. But when you've got a, when you've got a group of players that have, you know, worked and they expect to move up year to year, and then you bring in like grad transfers or you have to be a little bit careful how you do that. So you don't, cause a problem among the the players you've recruited to be four-year guys. But uh, I think it's a great tool. And, and I think you're right, Seth and, and Fonz, like the ACC has done as good a job, other than Chris Beard at Texas, the ACC yes. has done as good a yes. job with the transfer portal as anybody. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jay. I, I, I think, you know, even North Carolina, for example, uh, with all of their, they lost three of their frontliners from last year, and they were very active in the, in the uh, transfer portal with going out and get two guys who I think are going to be incredibly impactful for them, including Dawson uh, Garcia, you know, 6'10", can shoot it uh, from deep, runs the lane, can play with his back to the basket. And so I was interested to see how the transfer portal was going to impact uh, incoming freshmen, because now all of a sudden, instead of everyone out and bringing in the next great freshman, now, granted, there are some guys who are program-changing guys, and they'll continue to be recruited at a high level. But I do think it's taken away scholarship opportunities for those guys in the middle and some of the fringe guys. And I can't blame coaches because it's, it's about winning. Uh, the teams that are older and the teams that stay older, the teams that win, even if they have to go out and get p- older pieces to bring to the puzzle and integrate those guys into what they're trying to do. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams out there who will benefit from being able to get experienced guys that can actually play and have an understanding and have a desire to win. Cause Jay, some of these players are coming from programs that didn't win. And now you go into a program that has a legit chance, not only to get to the NCAA, but make a deep run into the NCAA tournament. You know, the interesting thing, you, know, you talk about that just real quick before we get to the ACC, is that there are going to be more high school players available that are going to get passed over, that are going to end up mm-hmm. majors, and the mid-majors are going to turn into junior college. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, if all of a sudden, you know, a guy's undervaluated, because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm running around speaking to coaches, and, and they're saying, like, talk to John Calipari, he's going to recruit the top 25 players in the country. If he doesn't get it, he says he's better off getting and taking a grad transfer out of the yeah. or a transfer out of the portal because you know if you get a guy that's say 75 to 100 like, the chances of him having an impact or playing as a freshman are minimal and then you know what if he's not playing he's gonna probably transfer you're better off seeing what's gonna go on at a mid-major see a guy that emerges that maybe he was under recruited because you know most guys are recruiting out of the portal as opposed to somebody developing high school players two years at a mid-major, uh, developing, getting confidence, uh, better understanding what it takes to be successful. I mean, the, the mid-majors are going to become junior colleges. In you know, and I think that's going to be interesting. But you, know, you talk about, you know, the portal. Like, I look at, you know, as good as Duke is, as good as their freshmen. All right? Like, Theo John's going to have a big role. Yep. As good as Mark Williams is, 
Yeah, that's a, that's an experienced physical front court player. I mean, he gives them depth in their front court. He's played in big games. He's been in like you were talking about, Jay. He's you know, he's been in big arenas. You know, I I think the Atkinson kid at Notre Dame. The more film I watch, the more and I found you could probably address this. The more I talk to Mike, and he, Mike keeps going, shh, quiet. <laughs> yeah. Like Mike, you play in the ACC. We're all talking about it. Uh, his footwork's as good as any big I've seen in a long time. Like he, if he draws a double, he can kick it out. But if he doesn't, he's going to get to the foul line, and you know that's going to change and make the game easier for the rest of that veteran North team. So you know, you look at it, Casey Morcel, he he leaves Virginia, goes to NC. Yeah. Maybe a better fit. So I think the the ACC in general uh, has done an incredible job of getting the right guys. You mentioned Manic. You mentioned Garcia. Yeah. Uh, you know now the thing is how do they how do they fit mm-hmm. uh, with the you know in the locker room of the mm-hmm. you know the new destinations. What's your take, Jake? I think they'll, I, I think the overwhelming majority of them will fit just fine. I mean, most times when somebody transfers, they're transferring either away from something that they don't like or transferring to something they like better. And so for, you mentioned North Carolina, like Brady Manick is an experienced older player that can play pick and roll, pick and pop, can shoot it, can stretch a defense. Uh, and, and he was leaving Oklahoma after Lon Kruger decided to retire and Porter Moser comes in. Now, that doesn't mean that that Manic didn't want to play for Mosier, didn't like Oklahoma, but it was an opportunity for him to go somewhere else. And, and he's been a lead dog at a big time school that has done really well. Now he can go and, and be a, a piece at North Carolina and give them a chance to really win in a big way. I think North Carolina is frankly undervalued in the rankings yeah, right I now. Agree. I agree. And they have they have uh, Justin McCoy is similar coming in from Virginia. Uh, so having guys come in, they will be called role players uh, this year. So Manic, McCoy, they'll be referred to as role players, but I don't see them that way. I, I, I think they're they're really, really good. And mm-hmm. I think their their attitudes will reflect that we're here. We're here to we have a chance to win here and we'll do what it takes to win. Just like at a, a major like a big time NFL team brings in a wide receiver or something. Um, you know, most of the time, those guys are going to say, look, I don't have to have the ball every time I know I'm going to fit in and I'm going to do what it takes and I'll get more credit winning here than I would scoring more points and not winning as much somewhere else. I, I think it's going to be, I think overall, I don't like the portal. I think the portal is a bad way to do transfers, but I like the idea that players can transfer and they don't have to sit out. Um, I, I think this is going to be a real positive as soon as coaches stop complaining about it and adjust to it. <laughs> the port, the portal itself sucks. The portal's a bad idea. It, it'd be like if we had a divorce portal. Um, it, wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't be. It's just not a good idea. You have to Can have a landing see my spot name to get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Wendy's had her name. Wendy's had her name in the divorce portal. For, as soon as she said "I do," she had. But when she signed, she signed the national letter of intent, so she couldn't get out of it. Ever since I've been, I've been like, "Don't do it, Wendy! Don't do it! Hang in there one more year." <laughs> that was the first standing ovation I ever got. Was when it went when. when uh, when the preacher said, does anybody, does anybody have anything to say? All, you know, everybody stood up and said, Wendy, don't do it. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right on as you talk about North Carolina. I, when, when I think of this transfer portal, I think of fit. And if you think about the bigs that North Carolina's brought in, 
all those guys can do something that right now Armando Baycott cannot. So I think they're the perfect complement for him. Dawson Garcia can shoot it. Brady Maddock can shoot it. What does that do? Create spacing out there on the floor for Armando Baycott to be able to go to work on the inside. I think another transfer that's going to be huge that fills a need is Caleb Mills at Florida State. I mean, Caleb Mills last year, we were talking about him being the the, uh, preseason conference player of the year in the AAC. And I think his ability to be able to score the basketball, get into the middle of the lane, he's an excellent defensive player. I think he's going to feel a much needed guard at the point guard position that Florida State was missing last year. So again, teams are really benefiting from the transfer portal. But Seth, I'd like to see the portal not stay open for 365 days of the year. I think it puts immense pressure, not only on coaches, but I think it sends the wrong message with particularly younger players who come in and have an opportunity to really earn something. And sometimes it gets difficult because you maybe have a guy that's playing in front of you that you think is getting too many minutes. You think the coach is down on you. And and all they're doing is just pushing you to be the best you can be out there on the floor, which not only helps you, but helps the team win. I think it's too easy of an opportunity for young people to miss that aspect of growth, uh, given the opportunity for the portal to be open all year long. I do think they need to put some limits on it. I'm interested to see if, if mid-year, like obviously we had an incredible influx of people in the portal at the end of the season. And obviously part of that also was the year that players were getting. So there, there was a greater volume of opportunity yeah. for seniors that were going to get their senior year back. I'm really interested in exactly what you're talking about, Fonz. I'm interested to see if mid-year incoming freshman or sophomore, or maybe he's not getting a running, you know, he's mm-hmm. said, you know what? I'm out. Cause I know like, all these guys I'm talking about, they all left two and three scholarships open. Yeah. All right. And they left them open for potential mid-semester transfers and, mm-hmm. and that are potentially going to be in the portal. And they left and they're leaving scholarships open from the early signing period because they know they can get to the portal. And like Jay, you were talking about getting an experienced player. Stay in the ACC, right? Sleeper teams in the ACC before we get to the very best. What teams do you guys think we're not like, Jay, you mentioned we're not talking about North Carolina as much as we need to. I'm not sure we're talking about Notre Dame and Louisville as much as we need to. Mike Bray, veteran team, added a piece that he can play through, veteran point guard play. They've got shot makers. They've got a little bit of a cause. And I I look at Louisville, you know, getting Malik Williams back, having more guards than maybe Carly Jones. You know, the Albert Ellis kid looks like a really dynamic player. The kid, Jared West, who transferred from Marshall, uh, he's got a toughness and a leadership ability. Samuel Williamson a year later should be better. I, th- I think Jalen Weathers has a chance to have a breakout year. Yep. I look at Louisville and I say they'll have better guard play, more shot, Noah Locke from Florida, another shot maker. Yeah. More shot makers. I'm not sure, like, people have put with everything that's gone on in their program mm-hmm. they on a back burner. We're not talking about them for sure, not in a positive way. Um, everything that's happened this summer. But Louisville and Notre Dame are two teams I really think that are kind of outside looking, but I think that I think they're both going to be NCAA tournament teams. I think there's no question about that one. And as you talk about Notre Dame, remember the thing that they've really struggled with is being able to defend. And I think a lot of that 
the defense dropped a year after Anthony Solomon left and went to Dayton, the assistant coach. He's now back. And I was at their practice last week, sir. And, and the thing that Notre Dame was missing is that good cop, bad cop. Mike Bray's always been the good cop. Anthony Solomon has always been the heavy hitting dad over there. And you can set, he's holding everyone accountable for mistakes that they're making on the defensive end. I remember when Blake Wesley in a pick and roll, actually it was Princess Hub in a pick and roll situation. Uh, it was a pick and roll that led to a dribble handoff. Prentice Hub kind of went below it, and he was supposed to push up and go over it. He stopped it right away. He was like, "Pink, you got to get up and in and make him go over. So the thing that they've been missing is a defensive edge. Anthony Solomon is back now. They have that defensive edge. And to your point, Seth, I think that's not only – uh, while they'll finish in the probably top six of the ACC, but the reason they'll get to the NCAA tournament actually have a chance to win a game. And speaking of freshmen, Blake Wesley is the guy to look out for uh, for Notre Dame there. He's exactly what they need, 6'4", change speeds, change directions, defensive-minded, and can knock down the three. I absolutely agree with you on both Notre Dame and Louisville. Yeah, Notre Dame is going to be much better, and part of that is because I think Mike Bray is the Ted Lasso of college basketball. <laughs> is, is there anybody more Ted Lasso than him that is is so positive? Like, you know, they go to overtime or something, he's like, hey, we're right where, where we want to be. This is great. You know, uh, uh, be a goldfish. I mean, he's, he's right on top of that. <laughs> but I do think, like, looking more toward the top of the league, I think North Carolina is going to be way better than people think. Yep. And it's it's for a variety of reasons. We've talked a little bit about their transfers that they've got coming in. I think Armando Baycott is going to be much better as a player. And he was really good already. Uh, you know, his offensive rebounding ability, finishing, running the floor. I think he's going to be able – he's going to be much more efficient this year and much more of a go-to threat. And then I think their guards are are going to be a lot better. Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, uh, you know, Leaky Black is back as their probably their best defender. Uh, and then they've got DeMarco Dunn coming in who can really shoot it. We mentioned Justin McCoy. I, I like their team a lot. And I think Caleb Love has a chance to take a step to be one of the best guards in the league. Uh, he needs to shoot it better, take care of the ball, all that stuff. But, you know, we always talk about the jump a player makes between freshman and sophomore year. I really I really like their chances, and it's going to be a great story to watch Hubert Davis uh, take over as head coach. I mean, we all know him extraordinarily well. Uh, aside from LaFonso, there's not a better guy out there than, uh, than Hubert Davis, and, and it's just going to be fun to watch him take the reins uh, of a program he loves. And I, I don't think – I don't think I love anything as much as he loves uh, loves North Carolina. Yeah, it's interesting. At, at Media Day, ACC Media Day, that came through like it was unbelievable. Just him talking about experience. He got emotional talking about late night that I guess is coming up this week. Uh, you know, walking out there and just taking it all in. He said his first real practice where he was in charge. But he was talking about Caleb Love, and, and I asked him exactly that, you know, by the typical line, you know, you know, difference between being a freshman and a sophomore, he goes, yeah, he actually knows what a good shot is now. <laughs> yeah. He knows to throw, you know, he doesn't have to make a hard pass. He can make a simple pass. And I also think they're going to play with a little bit more space. Yeah. They have the same speed, but they're going to play with a little bit more open floor. Uh, maybe not as much straight of that high-low stuff that they they run in the past. I think they're going to they're run some more kind of conceptual pro spacing stuff. 
uh, that it seems like everyone's running, by the way. It seems like yeah. the spread, slot, ball screens, <laughs> ball screens. I mean, I've been to seven practices and all seven practices. I look at the notes and everyone's running basically the same offense. Wow. The only difference is when you go to Jay Wright's practice, they jump, stop, and pivot as opposed to from one hand. But I, 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 th- I think their backcourt is going to be good. He was really high on R.J. Davis, uh, you know, they're talking about just how he was playing, his poise, his versatility. Uh, you know, Hubert was really, really excited uh, about their team. Other teams at the top, I mean, is Virginia Tech. Let me throw this at you. Virginia Tech, with their experience, very experienced front court. Obviously, Luma and Mutz, very hard matchups. Saul Murphy. Transfers from Wofford, he has experience understanding that system. Is Virginia Tech a team that we talk about Virginia, we talk about North Carolina, we're going to talk about Duke. Is Virginia Tech a team we're probably not going to talk enough about, but yet might be the most experienced, toughest, most complete in terms of offensive execution, defensive execution in the league? Their team that doesn't hurt themselves. And they're to your point, they're physical, tough on the defensive end. You've already talked about Justin Mutz may be the most versatile four in all of the ACC at six, seven can shoot the three change the speeds, change directions off the dribble. You can post them. He can guard multiple positions. I think Kevin Aluma is the dark horse for the ACC player of the year. So you talk about how good their front line is. Uh, Hunter Couture now will be, not counting on coming off the bench to knock down threes, but now he'll be in the starting lineup, a guy who shoots over 40% from the three-point line. So I think the experience that this team has, they have a little bit more depth across their front line now. The way that they guard consistently night in and night out, I wouldn't at all be surprised if they finished as the third best team in the ACC. I agree, and I think I think at worst – uh, top five in the league uh, because their offense is so difficult to to guard. Um, they use spacing Seth as well as just about anybody. And Mike Young's one of the better offensive coaches I've seen um, in not only in the ACC but but around the country. Uh, and uh, you know he gives you this kind of aw shucks, you know, it's just me going against Tom Izzo thing, but he doesn't really believe that stuff, right. um, which is kind of nice. I mean, I like I like the 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 humility. Um, but but he knows that he can coach with anybody, and uh, and I'm I'm really impressed. I, I think the I would say an, another team that that is probably undervalued is Duke, frankly. And yeah. you know, like I, I see a lot of the preseason rankings, and Duke is like 12 or whatever. Um, they're going to be big and physical. They're a little bit of a different team. Um, and like their travel party is going to be unbelievable with all the extra space yes. they're going to have to have for all the gifts that coach K is going to get on every road trip. <laughs> yeah. Like that's sort of the lead story for college basketball is this is coach K's last year as it should be. I mean, you know, on one hand, you're kind of thinking there have been very few scenarios where a coach has announced, you know, this is my last year. It doesn't happen very often. I wish it would happen more because we get to kind of sit back and enjoy it a little bit. You know, we're going to make a lot of jokes about how many rocking chairs are you going to get and all this stuff, but it is going to be kind of fun to to sit back and say, man, we get one more year of this. It, did, it, yeah. it wasn't like Roy Williams had when he announced it. And look, I'm not saying that there's a right way or wrong way to do it. There isn't uh, because, you know, when, when there's an end to something, it, it's a really difficult task. 
But when he announced his retirement, there was a little bit of a sad, I, I, I was sad about it because, you know, you, you just, it was almost like, um, uh, like an, Ill, an illness or something. Uh, I was, I was sad about it because I knew it was over with coach K, you know, it's going to be over in a year, in a year, but, but we kind of get to enjoy the last ride, no matter what happens. And and there'll be some twists and turns to it. I'm sure that'll, will be fascinating to watch. And Jay, he always obviously coaches with the chip, but I think this year he's going to coach even, even more so. And part of that is, uh, I talked to you about that just a little bit uh, last week is I didn't realize that they hadn't missed an NCAA tournament since like 1995. And so not only did they not make it, North Carolina didn't make it last year. And to not have two of our finest blue bloods in the NCAA tournament was just weird. <laughs> but Duke will be right back there. And if A.J. Griffin can get healthy and get back to where he was early in the summer, he's going to be out for about four or five weeks with, with an injury. I think they have the length. I think they have the athleticism. I think their guard play will be so much better. I thought Mark Williams over the last five, six, seven games of the season was one of the best bigs in the country. Now you get him surrounded with the super freshman, Paolo Banchero, who's 6'10", can shoot it from the outside. You can play with his back to the basket. I think he's a better passer than people think. I think this year's Duke team, I'm interested to see how Mike Krzyzewski are they going to be a fast team that kind of gets out and goes? Are they going to pound you inside? I'm just interested to see how they're going to play this year. But the thing that's the most important for this team, where I feel like they've had a little drop off of the last couple of years, is on the defensive end. It's going to be, can they contain the basketball? And that's going to determine how far they're able to go in the NCAA tournament. I was at practice the other day. One thing about the chip, I'll tell you, I almost go the other way about it. And Jay, you're obviously really close with Coach, but he was more relaxed the other day in practice and sitting and talking and not reminiscing, but in basically savoring the moment, enjoying every step along the way this year. I think he's going to really, there'll be emotional moments, but I think he's going to really enjoy and embrace this year, this team, this experience. Seriously competitive. There's no doubt about it. And Trevor Keels, let me tell you something. You talk about guard play. That dude is a grown man. Mm. A physical guard that can get in the lane, he can shoot it, he can really defend. They they have really good length, obviously, across the board. Having Theo John as a backup, yeah. he's got every rebound. He must have 40 rebounds in practice. It was like <laughs> I mean it was like a joke. You know, Seth, the, the, the fact that when you were at practice the other day, Coach K was so relaxed, it might have been the fact that you were there. He felt like, well, when <laughs> Seth Greenberg's in the building, this is a win. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he said he said he, he heard Ball Bet on campus, the podcast. He would have a chance for us to talk about it. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, to being on this, being on this show, not only our TV show, Ball Bet on Campus, but the podcast. Don't kid yourself. When Coach K retires, he'll shave his head to get on this thing. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, do we get to do it? I, the question is, by the end of the season, will we see a gray hair? I mean, that's just, that's my <laughs> I mean, uh, speaking of gray, speaking of gray hairs, uh, and, and, and I think Duke's going to be really defensively. I think that their length, I think their depth, I think Jeremy Roach will be better. Uh, I thought Wendell Moore just before I get to Sergius, Wendell Moore looked so mature. Yeah. Uh, his game looked so much more complete. He was putting the ball on the floor. His energy was good. You know, you know he, he's going to compete defensively. I, I agree with that. I think Duke nationally in this preseason stuff, 
uh, is underway. Now, look, I spoke to our favorite whining coach in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we really can shoot it. It's amazing. We made so many shots against each other, which means, uh, are you guys guarding anyone? But <laughs> <laughs> Jim Beheim is so, he, he, he really likes his team. He says, uh, Buddy's playing at very, very high level. Jimmy brings a little bit of edge. Jimmy Beheim, his son, who, by the way, as Buddy Beheim says, Coach, I just go with the flow. Whatever my old man says, you know, I'm just going to do. He said, Jimmy, because of that Cornell degree, he, he's like he's like my dad, you know, when my dad was that age. He questions everything. He goes, well, you know, <laughs> yes. And finally, Jim said, yeah, you're not a Cornell. Like, it was, it was, it was absolutely hilarious. He said, Cole Swider at 6'9", like 230, yep. is really a matchup problem. He was, he was really optimistic about what his team could be offensively. Uh, he thought, you know, that, that up front, he thinks that they've developed a little bit of depth and Sadibi back is uh, going to be a huge addition in terms of some rim protection. The Edwards kid, he said, has gotten better. Uh, he's really, and he, you know, he's usually pretty straight up about his team. You know, I don't know who they have a shot creator yep. you know, to get someone an easy one, but uh, he was really uh, enthusiastic about his team. But then again, I got a text message from Dave Odom as he was watching ACC Media Day, and he goes, what does every one of these dudes think they're going to win every game? He goes, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the media day, everybody's trying to build excitement, you know, and 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 we should because uh, we are excited about it. And uh, so you might as well you might as well talk about the upside of your team rather than, uh, you know, like because when to your point about Beheim, when when Jim likes his team, he says so. And when yeah. he thinks they're good, he says so. When he doesn't like what he sees that that they need to get better. Like, that's one of the things I've always admired about him. He's really straight up about his team. But. When he says that, hey, we can't do this, we can't do that, he's not giving up on it because he keeps going to work every day and improving upon it. And oddly enough, a lot of the teams he says, you know, we can't play at all. We can't stop anybody. We can't shoot. They wind up making a run in the tournament because he said that about his team last year. He says, we can't beat anybody. I remember, as I, you know, when we sat down after that whole, you know, controversy uh, about he said this, I said that. We sat down and said, you know, how, how good are you guys right now? And he says, we can't beat anybody. And a little bit later, I said, well, you know, Lenardi says you're not going to make the tournament. And Beheim goes, he doesn't know what he's talking about. If we got in the tournament, we can make a run. We can do this. We can do that. And I was like, you just said you couldn't beat anybody. He says, well, you know, by, the, by the time we get in the tournament, that kind of thing. So he, he keeps building. Um, but I, I think they're going to be they're going to be very good. Uh, maybe not great but very, cause they can shoot it. And what does he say all the time? He says, Hey, if we can make shots, you know, w w if we can make shots, we can win. And uh, they'll be able to make shots this year. New coach in the league, Earl besides Hubert, Earl Grant, uh, one of his former players actually traveled with him to Boston college. And I, the one thing I was really impressed with, he is going to build that program in his own identity. And he's going to build it with, Flat out, a little bit like Mike Young, a little bit like Brad Brownell on the defensive end, first and foremost. I mean, you know, they're going to be, you know, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the country last year, yeah. nine points a game. 
I, I think you'll see a really under under talented probably, but fiercely competitive team. And you know, we'll see. I mean, they got to acquire talent, but uh, he's got a, a great passion and great energy, and you can see that the guys that he's coaching right now are one hundred percent morning to him. Get players, man. I mean, Earl Green is a really good coach, and he was at College of Charleston. They went to the tournament, I think, three of his six years there. Uh, He needs to get players Um, because last year they had, you know, they were poor defensively, but, I mean, nobody had more COVID suspensions than uh, than Boston College. I mean, they they never had a roster, including Jim Christian was was concerned about playing yeah. uh, a couple of the games because he was putting walk-ons out there that had you know honestly had no business playing, and uh, so he was really worried, and that was a, that was a big factor uh, in, in their season. But Earl Grant is a great guy. He's I think he's an outstanding coach, and and uh, and I think he'll do a, a really good job. The problem is you got a league that breaking into the top eight or nine in that league is really difficult. So, you know, getting people out on the road, getting players, whether it's the transfer portal, whatever, uh, you know, the occasional kidnapping, whatever you got to do, uh, get <laughs> yeah. players, you got to do it. Yeah. And I think a team, Jay, that we haven't talked about in a few years here that hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2018. I, I think Miami has a chance to sneak their way into the, latter end of the selection process from the the NCAA tournament. This is a team that I, I think they have the most dynamic guard in all the ACC and Isaiah Wong. Yeah. Kid ever 17 points a game last year. So smooth off the dribble, pull up game. The question for this team is always what we've always questioned is can they guard anybody? He and Cam Augusta, you can put up points. Uh, they, they, they get decent play from the interior, but it's going to come down to whether they can guard someone. And if I have a sleeper team that's not expected to get to the NCAA team that might slide in, it could be Miami that can slide into that seventh or that eighth spot because I'm anticipating that eight teams will get into the NCAA tournament from the ACC. Who's your top four teams in the league, Fox? I have Duke, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Florida State. Me too. Yeah, I had Florida State third, uh, but but th- those are the teams I have. And and Fonz, I agree with you. Like, you know, look, I don't know where Miami's going to finish, but I can't think of a time where Le- Jim Laranega, uh, his team has has underperformed expectations, unless they had an injury or something. That they're they're usually even when they've had injuries, and you go in there like last year, they they wind up beating Duke yeah. and doing all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their their uh, their roster was a nightmare as far as injuries were concerned. Um, but I, I think they will be better than people think. But if everybody's better than people think, somebody's still going to finish last, and somebody's <laughs> still going to miss the tournament and, and all that. So so how all right? How many tournament teams does the ACC have at the end of all this? Seven. It's my gut feeling. Like we didn't even mention Virginia. Correct. Yeah. All right. Now, Virginia's backcourt is good. Obviously, the big question mark, I think, of our kid, a kid trash from East Carolina, watching him on tape a bunch. Uh, crafty, uses his body, gets angles, finds all different ways to score on a basket. A below-the-rim rebounder and a below-the-rim finisher. Uh, you, you know Tony Bennett's going to put him in position. Like If they compete for the championship in the ACC this year, all those other guys should just forget about it. <laughs> I mean, like, like if he can take this team, they got to really, you know, Kia Clark is a senior and Beekman. I, I, I think for Bruce Beekman has a chance to have a breakout, breakout year. 
But if you look at their roster, they're going to need two and three guys to emerge. How are they going to score it? Uh, is Kihei going to try to do too much? What are they going to yeah. do front court? Um, I think they have as many question marks as as any team. But, I mean, I, I feel like Notre Dame is an NCAA tournament team. Yes. Talking to Jim Bayham, he feels like they have a chance to be an NCAA tournament team. I think Louisville has an opportunity to be an NCAA tournament team. You know, we talked about uh, the top four. And, and so, like, I think they're going to – I think they'll get seven, potentially eight. What's your guys' feel? Well, first of all, Seth, that was a math question, not an essay question. <laughs> well, you know, I only talk to this. <laughs> I got eight. I got eight yeah. with Notre Dame being the eighth. But yeah. uh, but to, to Fonza's point, you know, there, there are going to be some other teams sneaking in there. And, and I, I think the start that Notre Dame gets off to because they've got some high value targets in the non-conference is going to be important. Yeah, and I, I mentioned my four, and then I have uh, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and Miami sneaking in on the back end. So I have eight to nine. Yeah, Georgia Tech could could sneak in there too. You know, Michael mm-hmm. DeVoe's back, and, and yes. they wound up winning the tournament last year. I know they had some losses, but uh, but they, they could they could be in that sneak in range in the eight, nine, ten range. If enthusiasm was a factor, they'll they'll definitely get it because no more <laughs> enthusiastic at media day than Josh Pastor. Yeah, he's he's enthusiastic and he's still like when I, when I'm really feeling down, if I make a you know a double bogey or something, uh, I call just to listen to his voicemail message because it, it is the most uplifting. He makes Tony Robbins look like a you know like a, a depressed loser. Um, yeah, the pastor's been that way since he was a walk on at Arizona. He's he there, there's just there's something different about that guy where he he wakes yes. up and sees the positive and everything. Where uh, two of the three of us and I will not name names. Hey, hey, he hasn't uh, been around see, you very see much. See the negative. Yeah, we see the negative. <laughs> it's not. I'm not a glass half empty guy. I'm not a glass half full guy. I'm a. I'm a. Who left this glass of vodka? Uh, uh, he hasn't been around you enough no kidding (laughs) he's got great sideburns though Josh yes he does sideburns he looks like Elvis all right Big 12 Big 12 another lead that killed it in 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 the park so the first biggest story in Big 12 obviously is is Chris Beard I mean, Chris Beard going to his alma mater, leaving Texas Tech, a program he did just an incredible job at, uh, and then going basically and recruiting everyone's players while keeping Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey and Brock Cunningham, which I think are a really good, solid foundation. But when you know, when you think of Big Twelve, I, first thing comes to my mind is Chris Beard and Texas and the transformation of their of their roster. And the second thing is Kansas is poised to get to the final four and win national championship. Agree. Um, I, I do not think the league will be quite as strong as it was last year, but it was incredibly strong last year. Uh, and obviously had the national champion uh, in Baylor. Um, I do think Kansas is the best team. Uh, I like Texas and West Virginia after that. Uh, with Baylor in that same mix. Baylor has a number of transfers. They will not take a step back. They will just not be as good. There's a difference there. Um, but but I, I, think, I think you can count this as a certainty. Whenever someone complains, whenever a coach complains about a player transferring within the same conference, 
people are going to point out, but you didn't have a problem with Chris Beard leaving Texas Tech and going to Texas. Um, just prepare yourself for that. That's going to that's going to come up. Um, Kansas has well, I mean, I'm not saying it's a it's a great analogy, but but we're gonna see that. Like we're talking about because with them, we're talking with this with Chris Beard, we're talking about all the positives of him going to Texas and what he's doing, the transfer. You know, he's brought in all these transfers. They're gonna be top 10 at the yeah. least, maybe top five to start the season. And nobody seems to have a problem with it. Because we shouldn't have a problem with any of this stuff. Conference, uh, you know, not to go back into this thing, but conference delineation should have no place in in this transfer discussion anymore. It's, it, the, the, those horses are outside the barn. NIL transfers, it's over. So the coaches need to stop complaining about it and move on. But but Texas has Marcus Carr transferring in from Minnesota. Um, Trey Mitchell, uh, who transferred in from UMass, and that dude can really score. Yes. Uh, Timmy Allen from Utah. I mean, it, it's, it's great. Christian Bishop, I think, um, um, yes. from Creighton. And then they, and then Devin Askew transfers from Kentucky. He may not, not even start on that team, right. uh, because they, they uh-huh. still have, they still have Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey coming back. Um, it's ridiculous, uh, what, what Chris has done and still has the fireside chat. Um, I mean, he, he is, <laughs> he's a modern Marvel. That dude is a modern Marvel. And uh, what what the, the roster he's put together, like usually a coach comes in and says, well, you know, we got to rebuild, change the culture, all that. He came in and, and stacked it. Uh, really impressive. His background, though, real quickly, his background from from semi-pro basketball, you know, you know, think about his journey and where he's coached. Division three, division two, uh, the South Carolina Warriors or whatever they were. His mindset, what he did at Little Rock, his mindset is – I got the job. I need to win. We got to figure out a way to win. He doesn't look at it the other way. Of, oh my God, this is a three-year deal because there's no such thing as a three-year project anyway. He, he is as, as relentless as, as as anyone. But as good as they are, and I, I'm interested to see because you got you got Ramey and you got obviously Andrew Jones, who, who have been very successful players at Texas. You yes. got who's dynamic has to have the ball. Figuring out, and he will, but figuring out how those three guys coexist going to be really, really interesting. And I think Timmy Allen is, is the guy we don't talk about as much enough about the groups. You know, Mitchell's good. His motor's not what Chris wants it to be, is my feeling. Timmy Allen's motor runs. I mean, that dude gets to the yes. in times a game. I mean, like, yeah. perfect Chris Beard player, Fox. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, he is absolutely, Timmy Allen, that is, is a mismatched nightmare because you can play him, you can play him as a full undersized four and he can obviously take that person out on the floor. You can uh, play him against a three. He can overpower any three you put. So so I, I, I love Trey Mitchell. I love Marcus Carr. But if I'm going to go to war, I want Timmy Allen with me because I know he, he's going to guard on defensive end. He's a, just a problem on the offensive end. It's, it's interesting with Marcus Carr, and, and, and Jay, I think you touched on this one, his ability to be able to create plays for himself. He's a willing passer. I, I remember distinctly last year, because I didn't think Matt McClung would have been a good fit for Texas Tech, but I do remember Chris Beard saying to Mac, I didn't I didn't bring you here to change you necessarily. I just want you to be more efficient 
and he held his fire to the his seat to the flame for that all year long, and I think it did help him. I think he'll do the same thing for Marcus Carr because the more efficient Marcus Carr is with the basketball in his hand, making plays to himself and his teammates, I think the better that team will be on the offensive end. The problem for me is all three of those guys, Carr, Allen, and Mitchell, they're not necessarily known to be defensive kind of guys, but I also have gotten to know Chris Beard over the last couple of years, and uh, he's going to demand that they play great. So I, I know Kansas is certainly a Final Four team. I wouldn't be at all surprised if Texas, with the firepower that they have and the concepts that they run defensively, if they could end up being a Final Four team as well. I think they're both capable of that. Um, you know, Kansas has so many people back, and, you know, Ochai Abadji, McCormick could wind up being the player of the league, uh, player of the year in the Big yeah. 12. I think that's a possibility. Um, but adding Remy Martin in there, who transferred in from Arizona State, gives them a little more scoring punch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last year, the way their year ended, getting just run out um, by USC in the tournament, uh, I think, I don't know if you call that a wake up call or something. Kansas is not yeah. used to that kind of thing. Um, I, I think they'll be, they'll, they'll have a different grit this year than they did last year. You mentioned West Virginia. Why, why I, I, if, I, if I had to pick a, a third team that I'm, I'm really excited about, I, I would pick Baylor and maybe Oklahoma State in terms of depth and talent. Yeah. What makes you, Jay, think that, that West Virginia, you know, when they lose Deuce and they lose Culver, what makes you think that they, that they have a chance to be that, that next team? It's not, it's not, Seth, a thing where I, I'll, I'll list a bunch of players and say they got this, right. this, this, and this. Right. it's it's more Huggins, you know, like how, how many times have we talked about West Virginia? Well, you know, they lost this guy, lost that guy. They're going to take a step back. And the next year, you know, they came in and they were tougher. And sometimes when when uh, West Virginia's had more firepower, um, I haven't felt as good about them. Mm-hmm. And and to me, like when they get when they're gritty and rebound and defend and make things really difficult, um, I, I usually like watching them better. And, uh, and I, I don't know, I, I, Bob Huggins is a hall of famer. He's going to be in there in the next, and I don't know when the, the next, next few years, I think, um, because I, I think he's one of the best coaches I've ever watched and he's an extraordinary person. Um, I love being around him, uh, because yeah. he, ne- he's, he always keeps you on edge in one way or another. Uh, but amazing personality, but man, that dude can, uh, uh, can coach anything. Um, yeah. you, you put him on, if he were a swim coach, they would, <laughs> him, they would hear him underwater and swim faster. Yeah. Jay, I, 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 with West Virginia, I think a lot of it is going to depend on the health of Isaiah Cottrell. Uh, 6'10", 240, plays with his back to the basket. He tore his Achilles tendon, uh, I think, in December of last year. And sometimes for bigs, that can be uh, – it can take a little while longer for you to get back to the place that you were. But for that team to take that next step, even with all the players that they've lost. But I love Tash Sherman, dude, who flat-out scored. If, if Cottrell is healthy, I agree with you that they can be in the top four of the uh, Big 12. And Greenberg, th- th- this is a podcast, not a forever cast. Malik Curry is going to be good. I'm, I'm going to give you the last. I'm going to give you the last thing. I think Baylor's going to be just fine. James Akinjo, yeah, I'm, he's going to be a perfect fit right there. We know that. But Fonz's favorite player, Matt Meyer. Let's go, Matt Myers. All right, that's his guy. I mean, he's going to score eight thousand shots. <laughs> Adam Flagler is going to be good. 
not going any. They're they're not going anywhere. I mean, and I think Oklahoma State. There's going to be life after Kansas. I I really believe that. I think that that team is deep and athletic. You know, they've got uh, the Caleb Boone kid. I think he's going to have a a breakout year. I love Isaac Likely just because of his toughness. I think the Big Twelve is going to be an absolute. Even though we say it's not as good as maybe it's been in the past. Uh, I think they're gonna they're gonna have a minimum of five, maybe six teams in the tournament. No, no question. And then, and plus, I mean, they, you know, they got to take sixty-eight teams. The Power Five are going to get a, a ton of teams in, no matter what. But Porter mm-hmm. Mosier's taken over at Oklahoma when Lon Kruger retired. Um, he's got Umoja Gibson coming back, and then Jordan Goldwire transferred in from Duke, so gives him mm-hmm. some some defense at the point of attack. I think it's going to be really fun to watch how he builds that thing because I don't think they're going to be great this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're a tournament team, but but watching how he builds it and how he brings those principles from Loyola, all that Rick Majera stuff, I think uh, I think it'll be really fun to watch. Yeah, Mark Adams, the defensive guru, <laughs> first time head coach at Texas Tech. Uh, obviously, he, he has uh, Terrence Shannon uh, returning, Kevin McCuller, both two gritty guys that can rebound the basketball and can score. But we, as we talked about impact transfers, he was also able to get Kevin O'Manner. Dude can flat out score the bat. I mean, he can shoot it from three. He can play with his back to the basket. He's another one of those guys that's just a mismatch nightmare. And so if, if this team can continue to score it at a decent clip, we know they're going to be great defensively. But Texas Tech, I have them around five or six uh, the fifth of the sixth best team in the Big 12. So I'm excited to see what they can do this year as well. All right, here's the last thing. Uh, Texas Tech, Texas game, Jay. How much fun will that be? Oh, God, it'll be great, especially the one in, you know, the one in Lubbock. Um, it'll be fantastic. And that that's, you know, that's sort of the fun part. I mean, I think people at Texas Tech still love Chris Beard, mm. but it's kind of like when you uh, when you love a significant other and you get dumped, you know, they got dumped. Uh, for for another another significant other um, that has you know significant other money, um, so it'll it'll be fun. I, I mean, I think the whole the whole thing will be a blast. And I I love this type of time of year because football has started, and when football starts, that sadistic ground acquisition game that's a crypto fascist metaphor for war. Uh, when that starts, you know that basketball is right behind it. You know the beautiful game starts, and we can watch passing and cutting, and you know enjoy it. Um, rather than uh, than watching, you know, collisions after collisions, it'll be a, it'll be a blast. Yeah, I'm I'm just excited about the start. This time of year for me, uh, I uh, when I was coaching was most fun when you didn't lose any games. You had great optimism. Enthusiastic. <laughs> no one really pissed you off. <laughs> it was really uh-huh. officials. You didn't have to be. But putting together a plan. And then, you know, implementing, you know, what you wanted to get done and, you know, trying to figure out how to put guys in position to play with their strengths, trying to figure out how to put your team together in terms of what you can do defensively, uh, whether it's how you're guarding situations, how far you're going to extend your defense, what your weaknesses were. Uh, it's a great time of the year. Now, that ends this week because they have the secret scrimmages starting this week all over America. So coaches have been in a pretty good mood. They've had great enthusiasm. And then after next week, when they all finish their first uh, secret scrimmage, they're all going to go, my team sucks. We're not going to win again. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing? What the, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> this time of year as a player, 
I, I, I'm starting to dislike my teammates every time I see them coming into practice because I'm sick of playing against them and I can't wait to actually play a game. So, fine. It's great you dislike anyone. Uh, when it comes to being on that 94 foot court, I did. <laughs> That, that's why that's why game starting nobody liked it more than the players i mean the coaches yes. have to take wins and losses on their record but man you got tired of of the length of practice mm-hmm. and then yes. once the game started they couldn't practice you as long so <laughs> because they you know now you have to win and they can't yes. wear you out and so that that was a that was a heck of a lot more fun but i but i agree that was the dog days the, the, these are the dog days for players Mm-hmm. Um, as you're getting toward the season and, yes. and coaches are still putting stuff in and all that stuff, that, 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 that was never as much fun as when the season starts. Well, this is going to be fun. And uh, we're going to go through the rest of college basketball in the next uh, few weeks to kind of get everyone up to speed. And then just around the corner, Champions Classic, which is, uh, it's crazy. November 9th, right? It's three yeah. or so. Madison Square Garden, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State, Kansas. I mean, it's always great matchups because you got those teams, those coaches, all of them, all of them in the Hall of Fame. Can you imagine that? Um, they're all in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And uh, and to have, you know, Coach K, that will be Coach K's most likely Coach K's last game in Madison Square Garden. Crazy. And uh, so, you know, tickets are going to be a premium. Uh, and and that means I'll, when I put my request in, I'll get the big goose egg zero. Thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> how about this? Let's end on this one. So uh, I think I've told you guys this uh, off the air. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the V Foundation board and we, we were at the V Wine Celebration this year out in Napa. And, uh, and there's always an auction of these fantastic items. The first item up for bid were four tickets to North Carolina versus Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium in March, the last game that Coach K will coach in Cameron. And, uh, and four tickets, uh, you can go to practice. I think there was a scouting report included. Uh, what do you think it went for? I, I know. I, I, they told me the other day. I'll let Fonz guess. 10000 one million dollars one million dollars which gave me the idea that you know i i'm i'm unless i'm hit by a bus i'm supposed to be there to do the game my seat on ebay uh in that game because i'll stand and let somebody sit in my seat (laughs) Uh, that that could be that could be a game changer where where i will not be on bald men on campus anymore i will be on a desert island uh sipping a drink (laughs) <laughs> uh, like like Eddie Murphy was in Trading Places. <laughs> Looking good, Lewis. Looking good, Billy Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 it is it is amazing. I'll tell you one thing. I got at practice the other day. You know, Coach has his handwritten practice schedules. All right, I'm gonna keep that one. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, like I put that in. I, I usually, you know, I'll fold them up and then I'll put them in my, my loose leaf, you know, with, with, with the teams I'm, I'm evaluating. Yeah. I've already put that one aside because, by the way, Duke, money's no object. He handwrites them on this piece of paper. There are things called computers, Coach K, but he handwrites them. And then, but he writes them in blue ink, but the white piece of paper has, so they, Duke has colored printers. Coach K has a couple. Yes. 
They have color printers. And then, uh, you know, he writes little notes on them and all that yeah. stuff down at the bottom about what they're going to do afterwards. And yeah. uh, still very old school. You're right. He does not use a computer. He uh, keeps everything in a little folder he has under his arm. Um, yeah, very, very, very old school in that regard. So um, he is not he is not going to take over as CEO of Google uh, or Amazon or anything like that as soon as he's done coaching. <laughs> I'm keeping that one. Hey, we look forward to doing it again next week. Taylor, did we miss anything? Just uh, everyone listening, follow, <laughs> rate, review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, and tell a friend. If you like college hoops, you probably have friends who like college hoops as well. So please spread the word. We're going to be back every week, uh, generally early on in the week. So again, following the podcast is extremely important, especially early in the game. I don't think we could say any better than you just said it, Taylor. I mean, you, you said it. You're so sweet. You could be like the bear of the podcast. I didn't know Taylor could jump in like that. Say something. I didn't know Taylor could jump in like that. What what a huge miss that was. We should have had him jump in earlier. It would have been a hell of a lot more interesting than all the crap we were spewing. Well, I've got a lot of stories about Seth. You know, these podcasting days, we've been doing for a couple seasons now. So we'll we'll get into it uh, as we go through the season. Don't worry. I've been carrying your ass, Taylor, for three years. (laughs) (laughs)